Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Take your Bible, open it to Acts chapter 11. We're going to be talking about remaining true to the Lord, Acts 11. We'll be looking at verses 19 through 30, so please locate Acts chapter 11 in your Bible. And let's pray one more time. Father, now as we turn our attention to your holy word, we thank you that it is God-breathed. All scripture is breathed out literally by God, inspired by God, and is profitable. And Lord, as we look at today's message, we're going to talk about remaining true, being resolute in heart, staying the course, pressing on, um, knowing that the best thing that we can do is abide in you and walk closely with you. But we confess, Lord, collectively that we live in a world that pounds against us. We, we deal with the world, we deal with the flesh, we deal with the devil. All these things can tend to distract and even cause us to veer off course. And so some early believers in Antioch, there was a great awakening there and Barnabas came and told them, stay true, remain true to the Lord And Father, we know that as believers, we need encouragement because we live in a world that can cause us to be downcast and discouraged and it can be hard at times to be a Christian. And so we need one another. But most of all, what we need is your Holy Spirit empowering us and strengthening us. So right now, as we turn to your word, may you guide us through the rest of this time, through the time in the scriptures. May you... uh, Help us to be good soil. As Pastor Chris prayed, we want to be people who hear and act upon the Word of God. Today will be largely about encouragement, but it will also be about exhortation to be people who are spreading the good news of the gospel. So help us to do that. For your glory, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now where we've been up to this point is we just saw the uh, conversion of the house of Cornelius And remember, that was a major marker in the history of the church because Peter had to be shown this vision of the sheet. And the sheet had clean and unclean animals and he was told, rise up, kill and eat. And that was a parallel to the people. And he realized that he should call no man unclean or common. And so he took a huge step for the church. And he stepped into a Gentile household and he preached the gospel. And the Holy Spirit fell upon these people just as Peter was preaching the message. And then they were all baptized and Peter stayed for a couple of days. And you could imagine the rich fellowship that took place there as Peter began to share the truths of the gospel. Only had a couple days to do that, made his way back down to Jerusalem and then he had to answer to the church. And the church's first words were, you went into a Gentile's house and you ate with them. And Peter was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute now. Let me tell you what happened. And he told, he told the story of the sheet. And he told the story of the vision of Cornelius and how the Holy Spirit was guiding the whole thing. And when the church heard the report, they said these words. This was uh, Acts eleven eighteen, where we ended last time. And when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God saying, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. And these Gentiles have now entered into the gospel. They have that same gift as we have. Praise God. 
Now, the, the early church had not figured it all out yet. There were still Jew and Gentile issues, but the church realized that God's grace was reaching many more people than they could have imagined. And so the uh, writer Luke now will pick up the story and he'll, he will tell us what happens next. He says, so then, Acts eleven nineteen, those who were scattered because of the persecution, and this takes us all the way back to Acts chapter 8, that arose in connection with Stephen. And remember, Stephen was the first martyr of the church. Saul, who became Paul, drove that persecution because he had hatred in his heart for the church. But in connection with that persecution, people went out from Jerusalem and they made their way to three regions, to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And they were speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But it wasn't only to Jews, because read the next verse. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus, that's the island from which Barnabas came, and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the church now moves in this direction where persecution has scattered the church. I mentioned to you uh, about a month ago that the president of Focus on the Family encountered an Asian couple And that Asian couple had told him rather sheepishly that they were praying for persecution to happen in America. And do you remember why they said they were praying for that? Because they saw us as largely apathetic. And now we see news reports, and I'll tell you, it's coming out in droves now. Chaplains are being told, you cannot use the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, I just saw an interview with an atheist group that is suing or did sue a school or at least threatened a lawsuit because the school partnered with Samaritan's Purse. And they were packing shoeboxes to be sent for Christmas overseas. Well, the atheist group found out that gospel tracts are placed in those shoeboxes. And so they threatened the school with a lawsuit. Well, the school said, we don't have the money to fight these guys. So they shut down the, that, that opportunity. So the kids are told, put your shoe boxes away. Put your toys that you bought away. Because Mr. Atheist Group, representing the Atheist Group, which is a little bit ironic. Have you guys heard? Uh, atheists are starting churches now. They call them churches. What they do is there's a movement now among atheists because they like the way we fellowship and they like the fact that we sing together. They like our community. They just want church without God. So they're starting. There's a movement of atheist churches, and I use that term very loosely, churches in quotes, and they gather together and they do everything that we do except they just don't want to talk about God. So they share inspiring messages with one another. Let me quote a Beatles song for you. Wow. Can anybody see the elephant in this room? My goodness. Right? Uh, So the church is preaching the gospel. So I was in the the gym one day, and uh, I saw a guy. He looked a little bit dejected, and and I said to him, you know, how are you doing? Everything okay? And he says to me, I'm not having a good day. As a matter of fact, I'm not doing well at all. And I said, well, what's going on? He said, I'm going through a divorce that I didn't want, but I can't stop it. And I said, I'm so sorry to hear that. I said, I do deal with a lot of marriages. I'm a pastor. And he went, oh, well, you probably don't want to talk to me. And I said, why? He said, because I'm a confirmed atheist. So what do you get, a certificate when you become a confirmed (laughs) atheist? I mean, what exactly happens? Is there a confirmation process? So he says, as a matter of fact, I write articles against the Catholic Church. Now, this was the time when 
There was a lot of that sexual abuse stuff going on. And so he said, I write articles. And another guy was kind of starting to walk up. And so as he began to talk, I said, well, can I ask you a question? How do you think everything came into being? Do you think that there was an explosion eons ago and we evolved into all these different creatures? And where's the evidence for that? And he said, you know what, Michael, that's a really good argument. And that's one of the reasons why I hesitate being an atheist. And, And I said to him, I said, you're not mad at God. You're mad at the church. And he said, you know, you're right. And so the other guy that was creeping up was another pastor. He pulled out his business card. (laughs) And I said, sir, you're surrounded. God may be trying to say something to you. Now, I don't know what happened to that man, but that pastor that walked up in that locker room, not so long after that, was crossing the street one day and was hit by a car and went to heaven. The atheist, as far as I know, is still alive. But what is interesting to me is that there are people all over the landscape hurting. This message remains true is not just about the lost people in our culture. It is about the church. Because, you know, when we go out on the highways and byways, we're going to run into a lot of people who at one time were walking with the Lord. There are a lot of hurt, backslidden Christians walking around Corona today. They're everywhere. And something happened in their past. Maybe something confusing. Maybe the church, you know, turned them off. And you and I can go around and we can make the case that Jesus Christ is alive. The church was first called Christians at a place called Antioch. A very dark place. I'm going to tell you about Antioch. And it's just going to remind us once again that God plants his flag and, and pierces the darkest places, and that the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. Do you believe that? That's what Jesus said, so we know it's true. And so it's the church's mission to go and tell the world, you can make it. But look, I watch the same news reports you do, and I watch about four or five of the opening news stories, and you want to go hide in a hole. It's, it's disappointing. It's discouraging. And so we come together on a Sunday morning, Wednesday night, whenever we do, to encourage one another to what? To love and good deeds. That's why we need to be in the church. That's why we need to be together. I was reading something from Chuck Swindoll, and he said, I think many Christians are dying on the vine for lack of encouragement from other believers. Proverbs 15.23 says, A man has joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. Isn't that true, says Swindoll? It's a delightful thing to receive a timely word. Proverbs 15.30 says, Bright eyes gladden the heart. Good news puts fat on the bones. Now don't take the fat literally. It means it will give you emotional prosperity. It will make your heart lighter. Make the day seem more bearable. Close quote. How we need encouragement. How cool it is when someone just comes along and puts a hand on your shoulder and says to you, press on. You can make it. Don't give up. And and you know what? We've all been there before. And when we've had that believer say to us, keep on pressing on. That's so valuable. It's so rich. It's so rare in a culture that's very drowned in one-upsmanship and who can put the other down a little bit better. No, the church is here to tell people, remain true to the Lord. Press on with a resolute heart. After all, where else are you going to go? You're going to go back to your old life? What does that have for any of us? 
So this story is really, it's all about the church being the church. It's all about the gospel on display. On Wednesday nights, turn to the book of Romans, go to chapter 15. We're studying the armor of God, Acts, Romans, one book to your right. And I have written a a book on the armor of God. It's on the website and I'm learning new stuff after the book's been out there. And one of the things that I've learned is that there's a layer that we need to look at that's more Jewish. It may be that the image that Paul was using for the armor of God is the Roman uh, guard who you know, had the, the different uh, uh, pieces of the Roman armor. But there's also a case to be made that the armor of God connects to the garments of the high priest. We looked at the breastplate of righteousness on Wednesday night and spent most of our time in Exodus looking at the breastplate of the high priest and the 12 gemstones representing the 12 tribes close to his heart, gemstones on his shoulders and him being an intercessor for the nation. And we talked about how when we put on the armor of God, it's not just a solo endeavor. It is our struggle. We don't struggle against flesh and blood but but against principalities and powers. And one of the reasons why we put on armor, why we clothe ourselves with Christ, is so that we might be strong for one another as well. We take our stand against the schemes of the devil, but we also intercede for the saints. The seventh piece of armor is praying and petitioning for all the saints. We're on the battlefield together. It's true, the battle belongs to the Lord, but we're in it together. And so this this whole story is gonna be about that, but I wanna show you something that Paul said. This is Romans 15, 15. He writes to the church at Rome, He says, I've written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus, Romans 15, 16, to the Gentiles, that was his mission and that's really a big part of today as well, ministering as a priest the gospel of God. Now you and I are priests of the new covenant. Now what do we give as a priest of the new covenant? We are a kingdom of priests unto our God. No more sacrifices, no more animal sacrifices. Hebrews thirteen fifteen says, one of the things we give is the sacrifice of our lips, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, right? We share and do good with others, that's Hebrews 13, 15, and 16. And another offering we make as priests in the new covenant is the offering of people. Paul says, my offering to Jesus Christ, Romans fifteen fifteen is the Gentiles. And I am called as a priest of God, middle of 16, that my offering of the Gentiles might become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You know something? The Bible teaches that the crown that you will cast down at Jesus' feet is not a literal crown. Get that out of your head. It is not gonna be some golden crown that you say, here, Lord. The crown that you will cast at Jesus' feet will largely be the people you touched for him. I I believe that includes unbelievers that you led to Christ and I believe that also includes believers that you encourage to remain true. 1 Thessalonians 2.19, Paul says, you, Thessalonian believers, are our crown of exaltation in the presence of Jesus Christ at his coming. And I believe there's an implication in the scriptures that those that you impacted for the gospel will surround you before the Lord and they will be part of the reason why you are rejoicing in heaven. They'll say to you, maybe, if I could at least conjecture on this, thank you for sharing the gospel. You, God used you, and that's why I'm here today. That is an awesome thought. And as priests of the new covenant, that's what we do. 
We go out and we go doing good, Acts, go back to Acts 11, and we do it for the glory of God that we might clothe ourselves with Jesus Christ. They were first called Christians at Antioch because the townspeople didn't know what else to call them. <laughs> I don't think the Christians necessarily came up with the name Christians. I don't think Jewish believers would have ever used that name because they wouldn't use the name of Messiah to describe themselves. But the townspeople likely saw them in Antioch and said, what should we call them? Somebody may have said, they're Christians. Now that's a combination of two words. Christ is the Greek form of Messiah, Christos. I-A-N is a Latin ending. And it means belonging to the party of. So there were Herodians. It was Herod with an I-A-N. Belonging to the party of Herod. And Christians, guess what? You belong to the party of Christ. So next time you're going to the ballot box, just put an extra little square there. Say, I belong to the party. All the other political parties are in the toilet anyway, so what does it matter? (laughs) How we need the Lord. How we need a great awakening in this country. There's no other answer. Jesus is the answer. But we've left our roots. And now we have mainline denominations denying Basic stuff in the Bible. Do you know that there was a man, he preached before a justice, and uh, he told that justice, you need to tremble before the word of the Lord. And that justice gave them a name. He called him and his movement Quakers. Because the preacher said, you need to tremble before the Lord. It was the listener to the Christian message who gave him the name. We'll call those people Quakers. They tremble before the Lord. The name Methodist came from the idea that there were certain people who had very uh, regimented methods to pursue holiness. That's where the Methodists came from. But today, we have mainline denominations who can't even figure out black from white, up from down. Now, they're not all bad, but you know what I'm saying. That's, that's where we live. And, and we need, as a group of people, to remain true to what we've been called to do. Now, persecution did happen, Acts eleven nineteen. They were scattered to Phoenicia, middle of 19, that's modern Lebanon. They were scattered to Cyprus, a little island off the coast of Syria. Uh, Terry, you got the map there? Would you throw it up there? Let me give you a visual so you can see where we are geographically. So, remember that the church started in Jerusalem all the way down to the bottom in the south, Then Caesarea is where Cornelius came to the Lord. And if you keep following it up, and you can see the missionary journeys will be traced here, you can see Syria up in the north. Antioch was the capital of Syria. And off to uh, the left in the Mediterranean Sea, it was called the Great Sea at the time, is the little island of Cyprus. That's where Barnabas came from. And that's where these people were sharing. So notice they, they made their way to Phoenicia, modern Lebanon, to Cyprus, And then they went to Antioch. And what was the church doing as they went about? They were speaking the word, but there was a group that was only speaking to Jews, to Jews alone. Some of the early church, because the church was Jewish largely, and that's where it all started, they thought maybe the gospel is just for the Jewish people. And so they were just speaking to Jewish people, and they would pass by Gentiles and ignore them. But there were others. Notice verse 20. There were some, Acts 11:20, some of them, men from Cyprus, that's Barnabas' uh, Barnabas's home, 
In Cyrene, that's in North Africa, remember Simon the Cyrene who carried the cross for Jesus, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus and telling them the news of the good news about the Lord Jesus, NIV, and the hand of the Lord was with them, 21, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Notice that the, the hand of the Lord was on them as they were speaking the gospel because the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel already has God's power. All you have to do is preach it. And that's the rub, isn't it? Because we go around as Americans and we are hesitant to preach good news to people. Hmm. What's the problem with that? The good news that your sins can be forgiven, that God loves you, that he sent his son into the world, that you can be a forgiven person, have new life in Christ, and be going to heaven when you die. Why do we hesitate to share that news with people? Because we're intimidated. Why? They may think I'm a little weird. Right? Or they may reject the message. So what? Tell them the good news. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to witness to every single person you see. But remember, a few weeks ago I said, we should be praying that God would lead us to hungry and hurting people who are ready to hear the gospel. You just don't know. Just keep the door open. Push on the door and see if someone's open to spiritual things. And if the door opens, keep going. And if it shuts, give them a gospel tract and say, well, if you ever need anything, here's where you can find me. That's the way the church did it. And they went out, and yes, persecution was happening, but they were speaking to the Greeks also, and they kept preaching the good news. And they were telling people, look, if you're empty, if you're hurting, come to Christ. Look, we've all sinned against God. We've fallen short of his glory. Come to, cl- come to Christ. And that's what they did, and they shared the gospel. And they reflected the character of Jesus, because when he was on the earth, he went around. What did he do? He preached the kingdom to people. And he went around doing good. And he touched people and he healed them and he showed them who God was. And that's what Christians do. Now, we're not little messiahs running around the landscape. That's heresy, right? We're not little gods, nor will we ever be. God has cornered the market on deity, right? He's God, we're not. However, we can reflect Jesus Christ and as we are clothed with him, people can see Christ in us. Story, lady comes up to me, sweet sister in the fellowship, after the second service, says, Pastor Michael, I want to tell you a story. She says, there's this area, I've been driving by there for 17 years. It's, it's an old beat down area off 6th Street. She says, I've seen little kids, they cross the street from this old rundown area, all kinds of evil I know is going on there. The Lord's put the area on my heart and they come to this convenience store and they buy food to get by for the day. And they use the little cards that they get because they're, on, uh, they're getting government assistance. So they use the machine for government assistance. So she said, I was going to get gas recently. And uh, there's a gas station I normally go to. And the Lord impressed on my, upon my heart, no, go to the gas station down in this area. So she said, okay, Lord. So she said, praise the Lord. It was 40 cents cheaper for gas. That was the first <laughs> blessing. So she puts gas in her car. Nobody else is there. Goes in and sees all these items on the counter in front of the worker. He's a, obviously a man from India so she says well what is all this and he had a honey bun up there and he had he had a you know one of those power drinks up there and whatever other ding-dongs or whatever was up there a breakfast of champions no doubt and so she she began to say boy all this stuff you have but what what's the deal and he said well normally the kids from across the street 
They come and they, a group of them comes and they swipe their card and they buy this stuff so we keep it out for them. And it kind of just keeps them going. But he said the, the satellite's been down so they haven't been able to come over and use the card. So the implication was the kids are hungry. And she said, look, I'm here to get gas, but I want to tell you something. Here's some extra money. And if those kids come back from over there, do you know those kids? And he says, yes, I do, ma'am. She says, when they come back, here's the money. Please give them the food. And he said, Indian man, why would you do that? He said, do you know them? She says, no, I don't know them, but I know him. And, he, he, and listen to this. The worker at the convenience store said, I've heard about you people. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. Acts chapter 11 verse 19 continues on about Stephen and the persecution there that the believers there that were still in Jerusalem had scattered out. They were fearing for their lives. But it doesn't end there. It tells us that they were still spreading the gospel. So even though they were afraid for their lives, they were, I'm sure, hurting and afraid for other people's lives who had no idea in who Jesus Christ was. Anything you'd like to add to that, Pastor Michael? Well, when we were just, you know, before we came on air, Oscar, we talked about how God can use persecution to move forward the gospel and to um, maybe even break us out of our comfort zones. And here, you know, they, they are scattered, but they continue to preach the gospel and the, and the gospel continues to spread. So the I think the lesson there would be that even in times of persecution, the church can thrive and continue to preach the gospel. And maybe the gospel takes on, uh, you know, I think we've all noticed that life becomes very simple when things get hard. And there's only a, really a few things that you really got to focus on. And so I think that that may be what we see before us. So what would people take with them as to what they could, what could give them the courage into continuing doing what they were running from? And what I'm asking is that the persecution came because they were preaching and sharing Jesus Christ. But these hard times fell upon them and they continued. How can we as Americans in this society do the same thing if something should happen to us? We go back to the foundation of Acts 1-8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my martuses, which that word in Greek, martus, came to be known as a martyr. You will be my witnesses. And so the same power that was available to them, Oscar, as you well know, is available to us, and that's how we do it. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Supernatural power from God, resurrection power to us, through us, is how it's done and uh, you know when times get hard it causes us to lean a little harder on God and I think uh, right there is where sometimes more power is realized there as we don't depend on ourselves but on God and so this would be an answer uh, a visible answer an example also to those who say how can I know there's a God well people are preaching and witnessing and sharing Jesus Christ not on their own accord but because as you've already mentioned, the power and the strength comes from God himself. So as, as people are getting persecuted, especially our siblings in other parts of the world, 
they are still sharing. They're not, they have no regard for their lives, but because they do have regard for the lives of their persecutors.